Christmas is over, although maybe not in your house, and maybe not for a couple of our songs this morning. But Christmas has passed, right? And at some point, my guess is over the next week, two weeks, you'll take down the Christmas decorations. And there's always something a little bit deflating about that because there's always so much excitement when they go up. And as they come down and the festive music stops, what we're left with is kind of the fallout of presents that were probably a little bit too expensive and a few fruitcakes we are pretty sure saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. And then we're left with the question, what now? And I think that's why we gravitate so much towards making resolutions. Maybe your resolutions follow along with something like creating smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, timely. Or maybe you have some resolutions like these ones. These were the the top resolutions for 2022, uh, to exercise more. My guess is that one's kind of an evergreen one, that everybody's going to make that resolution every year. So to exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, spend more time with family and friends, live more economically, uh, spend less time on social media, reduce stress on the job, and quit smoking. Uh, Those are some resolutions from 2022. How about in 2020? These poor saps, they had no idea what was coming, right? These are the top resolutions from 2020. Uh, Manage finances better. Okay, well, here comes a worldwide pandemic. Eat healthier. Here comes a worldwide pandemic and the rise of DoorDash, right? Uh, Be more active. Uh, Lose weight. Improve mental well-being. How'd that go in 2020 for everybody? That was a great year for that, wasn't it? Improve social connections. Again, uh, hey, here's social distancing instead. Uh, Learn a new skill, like how to to avoid wearing a mask. Uh, Be more eco-friendly. Yeah. Resolutions from 2020. Here's the thing about resolutions, though. It it turns out that only about 9 to 12% of people actually adhere to their New Year's resolutions. Uh, We would probably count ourselves on those that, uh, that usually don't adhere to our resolutions if the majority holds true in our congregation as well. Here's some reasons why, though, people don't adhere to the resolutions. Uh, There are uh, just other reasons, 28% there, but there's shift in goals and priorities. That's the the bottom left corner, 18% there. Uh, People are too busy. They're too busy doing other things that they've decided that these things aren't as important anymore. And that really feeds into the biggest section there in 35%, which is that people just lose motivation. What initially seems so good and so promising, people just kind of say, you know what, maybe I'm, I'm not as committed to this as I thought I was. Well, God created us to desire to look forward to something, which is really what a resolution is always uh, about, right? I'm resolving to do something because I want to be a different version of myself at the end of 24 than I was at the beginning of 2024. So maybe this year you're looking forward to a a promotion, a raise, a new house, a new car, uh, a vacation. Maybe you're looking forward to next Christmas at this point already. But with all of those things, they'll come and they'll go. The excitement will be there for a moment, and then it will wear off. And then you'll be left looking for that next fix of excitement, that next anticipation, that next thing that you're saying, man, it'll be good when this happens. Well, in first century Israel, uh, people were looking forward to something as well. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, what we just celebrated, the birth of Jesus. And while we aren't looking forward to the first coming of the Messiah anymore, I think there's something for us as we consider living a resolute life in 2024 about us looking forward to the second coming of the Messiah. As we sit here at the dawn of a new year, as the calendar is about to turn to 2024, there's a great number of things that we could resolve to pursue this year. But I want to challenge us that I think there's one resolution that every single Christian not only should make but must make in 2024, and it's this. We need to resolve to live this year preparing for the return of Christ. We need to resolve to live this year ready for the return of Christ. Our passage today is going to be 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. And as Peter was writing this letter, he was writing to a world that in some ways wasn't all that different from ours. In Peter's day, people were questioning, all right, you tell us about this Jesus character and you tell us that he said that he's coming back. Where is he? Where is he? And right before the passage that we're going to be looking at, Peter had just said, you know what? The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise about returning. Instead, he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everybody that will to come to eternal life. 
And so Peter's already addressed that. But again, we live in a world that's asking the same question. In fact, I was just watching a YouTube video yesterday where the interviewer was talking with somebody and saying, you know what? He was talking to a professing believer. This interviewer was an unbeliever. And he said, you guys talk a lot about the return of Jesus, but it's been thousands of years. Where is he? So the world's still asking that question. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we can be lulled into that same sense of passivity when it comes to the return of Christ. We can think, you know what? Yeah, I know the doctrine says that Jesus could come back at any minute, but really I just live my life like I'm going to live 70, 80, 90 years and then die at a ripe old age and then I'll go to be in heaven. And so it, it doesn't really impact me. This idea that Christ could return at any minute doesn't really change anything about the life that I'm living here and now. Church, we have to come to terms with the reality that there is nothing preventing Christ from returning for his bride except for the sovereign will of God. We're not waiting for anything anymore to happen. His first coming marked the the interlude between his first coming and his second coming. And there's no major prophetic event that needs to take place between now and the return of Christ. It could happen at any moment. And because of that, we need to live 2024 ready for the return of Jesus. Our passage reads this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. It says, since all these things, these things, the world, everything around us, creation, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our passage begins with this statement, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. That's this world that we live in, that it will come to an end. In fact, he's uh, described that uh, in verse 10, right above that. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, laid bare, stripped down. So since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, uh, we we live in a pretty affluent area of the, the country here. I mean, you, you look outside, just down the street, there's a, a multi-million dollar soccer facility there. There's Jerry World over in Arlington where the, the Dallas Cowboys try to lose games but somehow squeak them out in the last second because of a blown call. You've got that place that's hundreds of millions of dollars. You've got a brand new baseball stadium. You've got all of the new communities, the new building going on. You've got massive church edifices in some of these areas. And I'm not suggesting that that's bad. I'm just suggesting all that's going to go away. It's all going to burn. It's going to be dissolved. It's going to be gone. And and not to mention all of the great sites that you like to go see. You like to go out in the mountains or maybe you're more of a beach person. Look, all of that's going to fade away. It's going to be gone. And that's what Peter's saying. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. You know, Jesus told a parable. It's the parable of the rich fool. You may remember it. This is a man who lived a successful life. And he amassed quite a lot of wealth for himself. In fact, so much so that his current barns that he had were were bursting at the seams. And he thought to himself, well, what am I going to do? I'll do this. I'm going to tear down my current barns and build bigger ones so that I can get even more stuff here and now. In the parable, Jesus says of this man, you fool. You fool. He said, this very night your soul is going to be required of you. And what good are all of your possessions? That's the idea here. This world is going to go away. And he says in that context, the famous statement, what does it profit a man to gain the world but to forfeit his soul? What good is that? You want the world? Great, have the world, but eventually it's gone. And unless you have what we just sang about, all I have is Christ, you will be like this one, who Jesus said, you fool. This night your soul will be or is required of you and the things you have prepared Whose will they be? Where will they be? Church, Christ could come back at any moment, and that's going to be true of everything that you have. But the other reality is your life could end tonight, tomorrow, some point in 2024. And then the question is, what do you have? What are you left with? What have you been living your life for? What sort of treasure have you been amassing? 
The day will come. The day will come. These things will be dissolved. In fact, in the Greek, it's a present participle, which means it's already happening. Thus, these things, as they are, already are being dissolved ever since the fall. Right? We're about to start this brand new Bible reading program. We're going to begin in the book of Genesis. You're going to read about the creation of the earth. And then in Genesis 3, everything goes sideways. The fall of man. Well, as a result of the fall, this earth was cursed as well. Creation fell under the weight of the curse. And from that moment on, there's been a decaying of this world. This world is already breaking down. It's already being dissolved. And so the question for us this morning to ask ourselves is, what are we really living for? What are we living for? Are we living for the esteem of men or the esteem of God? Are we concerned with the here and now or more concerned with the then and there? If we're concerned with the here and now, everything that we're focused on, not only will it be dissolved, but this is what keeps us on the rat, in the rat race, on the hamster wheel of, of never being satisfied. Again, consider King Solomon. King Solomon did it all, got it all, had it all, amassed it all. And in the end, what did he say? Vanity. The word in the Hebrew there is the word that suggests like the steam from a cup of coffee. It's there and it looks like something that you can grab, but if you go to grab it, it's, it's gone. It's gone. It's fleeting. It's pointless. It's not fulfilling. And y'all, this time of year, the world is throwing all kinds of things at you to say, this is what you should live for in 2024. And all I'm suggesting to you is so many of those things will just leave you unsatisfied and more than that, not ready for the imminent return of Christ. What is the answer then that Peter provides for us? How should we be living in light of the fact that all of these things are going to be dissolved? He says we should be living lives of holiness and godliness. That's where he goes. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he continues in our passage, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? This is more than just a question. It carries an imperatival force here. In other words, it carries a force of a command. The word, what sort of people ought, okay? That word in the Greek is the same word that is translated to other places. It's necessary. It's necessary. And so Peter is saying here, man, in light of the reality that this world and everything in it is eventually going to be dissolved, it is necessary for you, church, to live lives of holiness and godliness. Holiness and godliness. Terms that, that are, are, are somewhat redundant, but just emphasizing this idea. The God that we serve is a holy God. That's part of what defines him as God. He is without blemish. He is without sin. He is perfect in every single conceivable concept and, and way of thinking. And, and as such, he desires that we as his people reflect that. And that's something that's been brought up from the very beginning. These are all passages that you see on the screen here, wherein God says, I'm holy, you be holy. You'll see a lot of that is Old Testament. A lot of that is Old Testament law. God was establishing his relationship with his people Israel and informing them that he is a holy God and they should be a holy people. A people set apart, consecrated. A people devoted to him for his use and for his glory. Which meant that they were to be called out from the sinful ways of humanity. But you'll notice it's not only the Old Testament there. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus makes an astounding statement there. He says, you should be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Peter, in our author, we're looking at the second letter, and his first letter in verses 15 through 16, there he reaches back to the Old Testament, and he says, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And he takes that and he brings that now to the church and says, church, be holy for God is holy. God desires that you and I would be men and women of perfection, of holiness. And you say, Pastor, I'm not perfect. Join the club. Neither am I. Hey, but here's the deal. It's not about perfection necessarily, but direction. That every single moment, every single day of your life needs to be about the direction of holiness and godliness. Why? Because this world is not all there is. And we need to be ready for what comes after 
In our passage today, Peter puts this new slant on this pursuit of holiness for us because it's not just about the here and now. It's about what's coming. It's about the then and there. The reason why it's important for us to live lives of holiness and godliness is that after all these things are thus dissolved, the question's begged in the passage, well, what then? Well, what does the writer of Hebrews say? It exists for man to live once, then comes what? Judgment. Judgment. And listen, y'all, that's judgment for the unbeliever and judgment also for the believer. They take place at different times and before different seats. But for all of us in this room, there will be an assessment. In other words, there will be an appraisal of your life once you're done on this earth. And again, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow with our health, but we're also just not guaranteed tomorrow that that Christ won't come back before then. So the question is, right now, where you sit this morning, how are you living? Are you living ready for that day? Are you living lives of holiness and godliness in anticipation of that moment that you stand before Jesus Christ? Point number one this morning is this. Get ready for your divine appraisal. Get ready for your divine appraisal. How do I do that? Well, first and foremost and foundationally, it's all about the gospel. The number one way for you to get ready for your divine appraisal is to make sure that you have repented from your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you have acknowledged that you are a sinner in need of salvation. That you have offended a holy God and that there is an infinite chasm between you and that God now because of your sin. And that acknowledging that, you are also acknowledging in faith that the way that that chasm has been bridged is by Christ coming to earth and dying on the cross in your place for your sins so that God would forgive you. And also trusting that he rose from the dead three days later so that you too will one day live with him forever. That's the gospel. We repent from our sins. We turn from our sins and we trust in God's provision of Jesus Christ for our perfect standing with him. Ultimately, our holiness and our godliness is Christ's holiness and godliness. That's what we cling to. That's what we hold on to. That's the first step. The second step, though, then that being in place, that changes everything about the way that we live our lives. Now our lives are lived in devotion to Jesus. Now our lives are lived in pursuit of holiness and godliness in what we call sanctification. Sanctification is a term that just means to be made more like Jesus. It's a process that's much like when you think about David carving the, the, the Michelangelo carving the David from the, the, the hunk of marble, right? I love the story of that because that marble that he brought David out of, that marble was twice rejected by two master artisans before Michelangelo said, I'll give it a shot. In fact, it had been left outside in the courtyard of a, of a cathedral exposed to the elements, getting more and more damage and degradation done to it before Michelangelo said, yeah, let me have a shot at it. And he brought out of that hunk of marble one of the most amazing works of art that the world has ever seen. But think about that process. What did it involve? It involved the hammer and the chisel. It involved him taking off the, the parts that needed to be removed. And even when it got down to the the fine tuning, he still had the sandpaper. He still had the smaller implements in his hands to continually refine it until the final product was ultimately formed. Y'all, God is bringing Christ out of you. And sometimes that involves the hammer and the chisel. And this year, God is going to work on your life if you will pursue him in holiness and godliness and rid your life of that sin with his hammer and chisel using the word and the spirit. And that's how we need to live this life, ready for the divine appraisal, because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. He writes this. He says, While we are, whether we rather are at home or away, meaning alive or whether we're there with him, we make it our aim to please him. Why? Because of this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice the language. Paul is including himself. We, first person plural, and he's writing to believers. We, church, Christians, are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne. This is not about heaven or hell. That's already been decided. This is about reward. This is about what does your life bear out? What is the eternal reward? What are the, as 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, the gems and the stones and the treasures, what passes through 
the, the appraising fire at that point in time that results in the glory of Christ based on the life that you've lived. Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So think about that, church. Your thoughts, your actions, your words, your lack of action, your attitudes, everything is gonna be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. And those things that were done for the glory of God will result in reward. Those things that were done for ourselves, for, for wrong motives, for impure reasons, those sins that we commit, that will be the wood, hay, and, and stubble that's burned up at that moment. I don't know about you, but when I think about the divine appraisal, I want to see much more on the reward side than I do on the forfeit side. And that has to do with how you and I live our lives today. Again, this is not about salvation, okay? This is not about whether or not you work to be saved. You don't work to be saved. Christ's work is finished. It's done at the cross. Your salvation is secure in Jesus. That being the case, now it's about how we live our lives. How we live our lives. How we conduct ourselves between now and the time that we stand before that judgment seat. That judgment seat is coming. It is coming. And so in light of that, we need to be about the business of living godly, devoted, pure, holy lives before him. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We need to get ready for our divine appraisal. What are some ways to do that this year? I want to suggest some things to us to say, okay, here's some practical ways that you can live this year in 2024. Man, all right, I want to do that. What should that look like for me? Number one, I talked about it during announcements, the daily Bible reading. Listen, this undeniably will be the greatest return on investment that you make in 2024. Regardless of what happens with the stock markets, this will pay off way more than any other investment that you make. And it will pay off way more than any investment that you think, man, I wish I had gotten in on the ground floor of this. Get in on the ground floor of sanctification and godliness and holiness and re eternal reward by committing to being in God's word daily over this next year. Say daily? Really do I have to be in the word daily? Yeah, yeah, you do. Why? Why do I have to be in the word daily? Is this sort of some sort of legalistic church? No, no, it's not. Here's why. What is this? What is this book right here? What is it called? It's called the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand on, up tall on the word of what? The word of God, right? This is the most direct revelation that God has given to you and me, right? You're not gonna get it from somebody coming to you saying, I've got a word from God for you. Unless they're quoting scripture to you, this is the most direct revelation from God, period, end of story. Can God speak to us through a brother or sister in Christ coming alongside us and helping us make a decision, bringing counsel to us, praying for us, encouraging us? Yes, but listen, y'all, this is the main direct way that God speaks to us today. And so if our goal is to be more Christ-like, we should wanna be in his word every single day. Why? Because this is the medium of sanctification that the Spirit uses. This is the hammer and the chisel that God is going to use in your life in 2024 to make you look more like Jesus at the end of it than you do right now. So join us. Be in God's word every single day this year with us. You say, well, pastor, what happens if I, I miss a day or maybe I miss a week? That's okay. Jump back in wherever we're at. Get back in God's word. It's better to connect back with it and to get connected to it again than it is to say, well, I'll, I'll pick up again next year. Make a resolve to live ready for your divine appraisal by investing in God's word this year in 2024. Second way that you can get in ready for your divine appraisal is community group. Get connected with relationships with people in the church, y'all. God created Adam and Eve, right? He created Adam, and what did he say to Adam? He said, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. Now, he's talking about that primarily in the context of marriage, yes, but it's broader than that. It's broader than that, y'all. God created us to be a community of brothers and sisters in Christ together. When God sent Christ to die, he sent Christ to die to purchase for himself the body of Christ, the church. In fact, that's what Acts 20, 28 says, that he shed his blood for the church. And so what that means, y'all, is more than just showing up on Sunday mornings and then leaving. It's building into relationships where you are known by someone else and where you know someone else. It's creating relationships like I like to talk about 
where you can get in somebody's kitchen, right? The, the, the vacuum salesman that knocks on your door, you're not inviting that person into your kitchen, my guess is. But somebody that comes over that you love, that you know, you're going to welcome them in and, and y'all are going to end up in the kitchen. That's the heart of the house. You need somebody who spiritually can get in your kitchen this year. That takes place in community groups. You build those relationships. You talk about the weekend sermon. You start talking about, man, how does this look in my life? You pray for each other. You support each other. We have a family in the church right now whose daughter's in the hospital right now, and their community group has surrounded them and supported them and been there for them during this situation in this season. So make 2024 the year, y'all, that you guys invest and get involved in community. Third, books and audiobooks. Man, Jesus says the heart speaks out of the abundance, or the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the what? I gave it away. The heart, right? Your output is connected to your input. So this year, as you think about this year, living ready for your divine appraisal, what are you taking in this year? Take in some good books. Take in some audio books this year. Things that are going to give you good thoughts, right thoughts about God. Books that will stir your affections for Jesus this year. Have your intake be something that's going to help you with your output. Next, how about this one? Prayer. Prayer. What if we made 2024 the year that we stopped saying, man, I want to get better with prayer, and that we actually did get better with prayer? Pick up a book like A Praying Life by Paul Miller this year. Read that to get started on your year. Read the book The Power of Prayer by R.A. Torrey this year. There's a quote from that book that has stuck with me ever since I read it. It says this, prayer has access to the omnipotence of God. Think about that for a second. What does 2024 hold for you this year? What challenges, what obstacles are you gonna be up against this year? Would you like to have access to the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God this year? Guess what? You've got that through prayer. Make 2024 the year that you lean into praying in preparation for your divine appraisal. Next, partners, discipleship program. That's something that we offer here at our church just as a way to, to walk through what are the, the, the fundamentals of the faith. And this is for you if you're brand new to faith. This is also for you if you've been in the faith for 20, 30 years. This is a great resource for you to go through and then to be able to take other people through and to, to see them deepened in their understanding of what it looks like to, to follow Jesus in discipleship. That's a program you can find out more about on our website as well. Uh, serving, finally. Last but not least, this is another way for you to get ready for your divine appraisal. Get plugged in. Start serving the body of Christ somewhere. If you're not already, you can find out more on areas to serve our church through our website as well. Y'all, get ready for your divine appraisal. It will come. The question is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? These things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people are we to be in, in lives of holiness and godliness? But, but there's more because it's not just that you and I are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but it's also that the lost are going to appear before the judgment of God. And that's a different judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. That is the heaven and hell judgment. And that's where Peter goes as he continues. He says, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Look back at the text. It says, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Waiting for. Waiting for the coming day of God. Uh, this word waiting is not the same waiting that you do when you order your food at a restaurant, right? That's more of a passive waiting, ideally, at least. <laughs> you assume my food's going to get here. That's the way it works. I walk in, I sit down, I get my order, they go take it back to the kitchen, the food is prepared, then they bring it out to me at my table. I I'm not losing a whole lot of sleep about that. Now, this is the waiting like when I picked my family up at the airport last night at Love Field at 1030, and there were 3,000 people in the baggage claim area, and all of us were waiting for the same thing. We're all waiting for our bags to be dropped on the, the carousel. And then they, they are dropped, and then you're just anxious. You're, you're looking. You're, you're, you, you, you know it's going to be there, and you're just like, I, I, I want my bag. And you think, well, why do I want my bag? I want my bag so I can get out of there, right? I, I don't want to be there anymore. I, I've reached my limit. It's like going to Disneyland. Once, once a year thing for me, and there's too many people there. That's how I felt last night at the, the baggage claim. And so finally we got all our bags and it was like, yes, we're, we're good. Now we can what? We can leave. That's what we're waiting for, Christians. We're waiting for the, 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 the Lord to come back for us so that then we can what? Then we can go. We can go home. We can go be with him. Because why? Because that's better than being here. And so that's one thing we're doing. We're waiting for that return. But while we're waiting, again, it's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. Because we're waiting for and hastening 
the coming day of God. Hastening. How can we hasten the return of Christ? After all, didn't Jesus say, no one knows the hour or the time? Yes, he did. And I don't know the hour or the time either. Nobody does. Nobody does. That is the prerogative of the Father. So how can we hasten that day? How can we speed that up? Two things I want to suggest to you. Number one is prayer. Jesus, when he was approached by his disciples, and the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. One of the things that he taught the disciples to pray was, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Church, are you praying for the return of Christ? Are you praying for his come his, his second coming, that he would come back here and take us to be with him, which will inaugurate the, the end times and eventually the kingdom? Are, are you act, asking God for that to, to happen? We should be. It's part of what he's commanded us to do. It's a way that we can hasten the coming day of God by praying for it. But the second way that we can hasten the coming day of God is this, evangelism. Evangelism. Because as we pray for the coming of the kingdom, what we're really praying for is a greater increase and in effectiveness in evangelism. In Romans eleven fifteen, Paul uses a phrase there that he calls the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles. And basically what he's saying there is God has sidelined Israel for a time until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? I'm glad you asked. Uh, we are Gentiles. That is, we are non-Jews. And so the fullness of the Gentiles has to do with the full number of those non-Jews that will be saved, the full number of the church that will be saved before Christ comes back for his bride. We here at, at this church, we, we believe in the sovereignty of God over salvation. So we do believe in things like election. And so we believe that there's a, a number of souls that God has elected or chosen that will be saved. But regardless of where you fall on that issue, everybody would agree there is a last person to be saved at some point before the return of Christ. Because why? Because we believe that Christ is going to come back. And so there will be one last soul to be saved, one last soul to make up the fullness of the Gentiles, and then Christ will come back. And so think about that for a moment and, and realize this. Have you ever considered that you might be the one that God uses to win the last soul to Christ before his return? In that sense, we can participate in the hastening of the coming day of God through evangelism. Because the more people hear the gospel and the more people who are saved, the less that number is of the, the, the last people on earth that will be saved before Christ comes back for his bride. And so it's through evangelism that you and I can participate in hastening the coming day of God. Think about it this way. My kids are masters at asking for things at the most inconvenient time possible. I'll be at the sink, I'll be doing the dishes, my, I'll be up to my elbows in, in the, the dishwater or whatever, and, and they'll come up to me and they'll be like, Dad, I, I, you need to get this down for me. It's on the top shelf in my closet and I can't reach it. Can you wait a second? Yeah, no, I need it now. Okay, well, here's the deal. I have to, to, to finish up what I'm doing right now, and then after I'm done doing what I'm doing, the dishes, cleaning up the kitchen, then I can come help you get that thing down. My kids have an opportunity to hasten the coming day of dad getting that thing off the shelf. How? By jumping in and participating in cleaning up the kitchen. That's the concept here, y'all. We have an opportunity to participate in the hastening of the coming day of God by jumping in and participating in the evangelism of lost souls. Reaching people for Christ. There should always be an underlying urgency to share Christ with the lost because you don't know if you'll ever see them again or how long they'll live or how long you'll live. But at the same time, there should be an increasing urgency as we're talking about this passage in 2 Peter with each passing day because we are that much closer to the return of Christ when the lost will be judged and condemned to the horrors of a Christless eternity. Somewhere, sometime, maybe this year, this month, this week, this day, someone will share Christ with the last soul to be saved before he returns. And time will have run out for everyone else. So as you think about this year, living ready for the return of Christ this year, 
yeah, we need to live lives of holiness and godliness ready for our divine appraisal. But the second thing that we need to do when we think about the fact that the lost will have their own appraisal is we need to live this year evangelizing like there's no tomorrow. That's our second point this morning. Evangelize like there's no tomorrow in 2024. Because there might not be. And, and, and this whole concept may make you uncomfortable because there's people in your life, like, I, I feel it too, that you've got a burden for to say, man, I, I love these people and I want to see them saved. So this idea that the, the return of Christ is imminent, it, it, it burdens me, it weighs me down some too. I get that. So my pushback on that is, what are you going to do about it? We can wait there and not like it, or we can say, okay, that's going to spur me on to get out there with the gospel to as many people as I can this year. I'm going to evangelize like there is no tomorrow. So today, yeah, I want you, church, to feel this urgency to evangelize in light of the fact that Christ could return at any minute. Right now, someone in this world, the 8 billion people, somebody could be sharing the gospel for the last time it will ever be shared, and Jesus may be on his way back. No one else is on call waiting to sub in for you to share the gospel with the lost in your life. There are no evangelistic stunt doubles for you. You're the one. And listen, church, you've got it. You can do it. You know it. You know what God has done in your life. You know the gospel. You know the good news. And here's the awesome thing. The heavy lifting, you don't have to do it. God does it. So think about, right now, in your mind, get in your mind, the faces, the names of the lost people in your life that you need to share the gospel with in 2024 and make a date on the calendar to do it. God wants to use you to reach the lost. That's why you're still here. That's why you're still here. Because there is nothing else on this earth that you can do better here than you'll be able to do in glory with him other than reach the lost. That's why he's giving you another year, if he does. is to be more effective about reaching the lost. It's the age-old question. If someone were to tell you, if you only have one week to live, what would you do? Somebody came to you today, said, hey, by next Sunday, you're gonna die. You've got a week. What are you gonna go do? We, we have our bucket list, right? Well, I want to go see this, and I want to visit this, and I want to eat this, and I want to do this, and I want to say hi to this person. I want to. Let me ask the question, is evangelism on your bucket list? Who are the people, if you only had one week left, that you would go to and you would say, look, I've only got a week left. You need to hear this from me. Because I don't know if I'll have another chance. Y'all, spend every day of 2024 living like that. Because that's the reality. We don't know. That's why James says, hey, those of you who say, you know what, tomorrow, next year, we're going to go into this town, we're going to do this. He says, basically, who do you think you are to presume upon God like that? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. What you should say is, man, if God wills, then I'll have the opportunity to do this. So church, live this next year like you've got a, a week-long deadline. And when you think of the lost in your life, those faces, those names. I think I'm, I'm, this might be my last time that I get a chance to tell them about Jesus. You know what the litmus test on whether or not we're going to follow through on that really is? It's this. Do you really believe that Christ could come back at any minute? Because if you do, then that urgency will propel you and compel you to open your mouth and talk to them. To put aside the fear of man, the fear of rejection, the embarrassment, and to say, I, I need to tell you the most important thing that you're ever going to hear. Evangelize like there's no tomorrow because there may not be tomorrow. You may be thinking, okay, live for my divine appraisal. Evangelize like there's no tomorrow. Okay, but, but then what, what happens after all this? What happens after my divine appraisal? What happens after all these things are dissolved and they're no more? Is it just oblivion? What's next? 
Well, that informs how we should live in 2024 as well. And Peter continues on in our passage. Look down at verse 13. Actually, back up to verse 12, just to get a running start midway through. It says, because of, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But, verse 13, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So this world's going away. We've talked about that, right? There's debate about whether this is going to be a renovation or a recreation. I, I think the language is pretty destructive here. The melt away, burn. I don't think this is extreme makeover eschatological edition. I, I think this is God is, is doing a brand new thing. Brand new creation that's, that's coming. We, we've been reading about it. If you're finishing up our daily Bible reading program that we've just finished with, Revelation 20, 21, the new heavens and the new earth are there. We just read about it yesterday, right? And so here it is. It's, it's this newness that's coming. So this is a complete destruction of this. But here's the contrast. That's not the end. Because Peter goes on, he says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Again, there's a contrast here. God is going to replace this with something different. This verse here at the end, what it serves for us is it serves for us to, to in 2024, cast our eyes and our, our gaze from the here and now to the then and there, to the what's coming. Our hope isn't here, but it's there. The new heavens and the new earth. In fact, that word new, it's a word in the Greek that means new in quality, different, fresh, previously unknown. And so you think about this world and you think about all of the things that we experience here on earth. And sometimes people say, man, this is as close to heaven on earth as you're going to get. We don't even know. It's going to be brand new. It's going to be brand new. And it's in accordance with his promise. What's his promise? Passages like Isaiah 65, 17. He's talking about this all the way back in the Old Testament. He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Promises like that one, or Isaiah 66, 22, or Psalm 102, verses 25 through 26. They all talk about this coming new heavens and the new earth. And, and the reason why nothing on earth compares to it is because of what he goes on to say. He says, the place where righteousness dwells. That's going to be a, a sweetness that nothing here could ever come close to replicating. Because why? Be because this world is not righteous, right? This world is broken. It's marred by sin and sinners. And so even the, the best day you have on earth won't come close to comparing to the single moment that you step into eternity. And the new heavens and the new earth, the most beautiful sight that you've beheld here will fade to, to, to black in light of the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth. It's gonna be amazing. Amazing, indescribable. John attempts that in, in the, the Bible reading from yesterday morning in Revelation 21. He attempts to describe it for us. He says in 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's why righteousness is gonna dwell there because God's gonna be there. Not behind a veil, not behind a curtain, not in the Holy of Holies, just there. The temple is going to be his presence God is going to be there. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you want that future, church? Christmas is hard for a lot of people. There is pain and sorrow and tears that happen this time of year for a lot of people. 2024, y'all, is going to involve some downs for you. There's going to be seasons of hurt. There's going to be seasons of sorrow this year. But this day is coming. This day is coming. And I promise you one thing, nothing that happens to you in 2024, if you are in Christ can take this day from you. 
Nothing that happens to you this year can change that the new heavens and the new earth are coming for you. And that changes how we live here. We resolve to live ready for that divine appraisal. And we evangelize like there's no tomorrow because of this third and final point, which is a hope in a better world. Point number three, hope in a better world. Have you ever purchased a house or maybe rented a a new house or a new apartment or whatever. And there's that time in between when you sign the contract and before you take possession of the, the premises. And in the meantime, you go back to your old house after you've walked through the apartment or you walk through your new house and you go back to your old house and you just look at it and you're like, you're not the same. And, and, and all of a sudden, that old house, it, it just becomes this place that you're like, I'm, I'm ready to be done here. And, and the new one is what you're thinking about. The new one is, is where your mind goes. And you're thinking about the floor plan and you're thinking about the layout and you're thinking about where you want to put your couch and you're thinking about guys where you want to put your grill in the backyard and if you can get a new grill because there's more space. Or you're thinking about the, the paint on the walls that you want in there. Your mind is there and you're just, you're excited about it. So even as you're living in the, the, the old place, and you're continuing to live there because this is what's necessary for the time until you're able to take possession of it, man, your heart, your mind, your affections are on the new place. Church, that needs to be us this year with the future new heavens and new earth that awaits us. We're here. This is the old place. And it's necessary that we're here. There's work for us to do here. God has us here for a purpose. We've talked about that already this morning. But man, while we're here, our mind needs to be there. While we're here, we need to be thinking about what's coming. We need to have our minds there. Paul writes about it in Colossians 3. If you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on the things above where Christ is. So church, rehearse these passages like Revelation 21 this year. Keep them at the forefront of your mind. Think about that day when God is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. Think about that day when there's not going to be any more sin. Think about that day when the new heavens and the new earth will be reality. Feel that same expectancy, excitement, anticipation that you do when you think about moving into a new place. Spend time daydreaming about what that's going to be like. Encourage each other with words about, man, it's, it's going to be so great when we're there. It's going to be so good when we're there. In fact, the, the, the passage that's most often appealed to for the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, you know how Paul ends that passage? After talking about the return of Christ and the church being caught up together with him, he says this, encourage each other with these words. The whole point of talking about that is so that we would encourage each other that we get to go be with Jesus. How sweet is that going to be? How good is that going to be? This year, this, this focus on this, it needs to be the hope that we have that's abiding during those downs that I just talked about a minute ago that causes the world to look at us and go, what's wrong with you? How can you have hope in the midst of what's going on? Well, because my hope is not here and now, it's then and there. Let me tell you about it. Let these thoughts, this hope in a better world, uh, cast your eyes there so that you begin praying more fervently like we talked about in point number two, that God would come back, that Jesus would come back for his bride. Let this hope in a better world spur you on it and be the, the fuel for you to go out and evangelize and reach the lost because you want them to have that hope too. And let this hope in a better world be that thing that, that goes back to that first point even that says, man, I want to live a life of holiness and godliness because I can't wait for them to come back. I'm going to be ready for it. I'm going to be as ready as I possibly can be for that reality. So I want to live in a way that pleases him in the meantime. Hope in a better world. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, not knowing whether he was going to live or die as he confessed there, he says, I'm hard-pressed between life and death. My guess is most of us in this room would not be too hard-pressed between those those choices. And not that that's wrong. I I understand the desire to live and be with family and be here, and and yet I think we need more of Paul's mindset. Because Paul says, I'm I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says this, I desire to depart. In other words, I desire to die. 
I desire to depart. Why? Because of what he says after that. And to be with Christ, for that is far better. What gives us a mindset like that is saturating our minds with what that's going to be like. This better world that awaits us. So in 2024, live hoping in that better world. You know, there's a day coming when faith will become sight. And we don't know when that day is going to be. So in the meantime, we need to be ready. We need to live 2024 ready for the return of Christ. Living ready for that divine appraisal. Evangelizing like there's no tomorrow. Because the foundation that we have in this hope in a better world. The most important resolution that you can make for this year is to live ready for the return of Christ at any time. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have hope beyond this world. I think of those that don't. In my heart, hurts for them because this world is such a, a hopeless place. It's full of trinkets and treasures, some of them shinier than others that promise to satisfy but never do. And it's full of a lot of dark corners and scary realities that can threaten any foundation that we might search for and, and grasp after from this world. God, I, I pray for those in this room that everyone would have that hope in this better world that is ours because of Christ, because of what he's done for us, because of his death and his resurrection, because the penalty for our sins has been paid by him. God, I, I pray that everyone in this room would have that confidence that they would have put their trust in him as their savior. But Lord, I, I'm mindful that not everyone has, and I just pray that you would change that. Pray that 2024 would be the year of salvation for some in this room. That today would be the day of salvation for some in this room. That it would not be put off because we don't know that we have tomorrow. On the one hand, it is exciting to think that somewhere, someone right now could be sharing the gospel with the last person to be saved and you might be ready to come get us imminently, momentarily. And yet that's a double-edged sword because we know so many people in our lives that still need to hear the gospel still need to come to faith. So God, impress them on our hearts. Give us opportunities, divine appointments with them this year to point them to Jesus and to tell them about the hope that we have in Christ so that they too will be ready when he returns. In the meantime, help us to be found faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.